Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Good morning, everyone. We'll begin with a chant, and if you know this chant, uh, please chant along. Om Asatoma Satgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityorma Amritam Gamaya Avir Avir Maedhi Rutrayate Dakshinamukam Tenamam Pahinityam Tenamam Pahinityam Om Shanti 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 Lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness to light. Lead us from death to mortality. O Lord, guide us through and through and ever protect us with thy loving presence. Om, peace, peace, peace. A lot of people here. I'm from San Diego where we're used to probably half the size of people. I think this is a, you know San Diego, I've told this thing before, but um, maybe there are new faces that haven't heard this before. Do you know what San Diego means? Anybody? Saint, okay, Saint Diego. So San Diego, if you look at the term San Diego, this was told to me by somebody from the Chinmoyananda mission. San Diego, it is where the ego dies and you become a saint. San Diego, San Dai Ego. There's a place in India um, called um, Varanasi. And it is said that whoever passes away in Varanasi automatically gets liberation. So that's what we're saying about San Diego. I don't know if it's true. That's what some people say. Today, we're going to talk about a topic called self-discovery. But unfortunately, for reasons of time and other circumstances, I wasn't able to discover the self. So what we're going to do is we're going to Talk about self-discovery through relationships. Yesterday, we had a talk in relationship. Anybody from yesterday's little thing, who was here? Show of hands. Okay, so just to warn you, a lot of it's going to be repeated from yesterday. I warned you. So we're going to talk a little bit about what are relationships and basically what's an unhealthy relationship, a healthy relationship, and what's a spiritual relationship. And are, are relationships things that we can discover ourselves with? And, and, and I'm going to cover a little bit of what we said. Yesterday, we had a, it's called a spiritual cafe. And it was in the convent. And um, basically, a spiritual cafe is something where we discuss a topic, and then we put questions out. And then people break up into small groups to discuss the topic. And then we reconvene into a larger group to give overall summaries. And it's really a great way to be able to see how much have we been able to process and assess and bring into our spiritual life and share with others. And we also, as we share our own experiences, we learn about the experiences of others. And uh, through this way, we gain a larger wisdom. So I suggest if you at all, if spiritual cafes, if you hear about them, try them. 
so um, I always like to start off with a joke here. And I told this joke yesterday, so if those are there yesterday, don't see it. Relationships. You know, I'm a monk. So you think, like, what, I'm in, what are you going to learn about relationships from this guy? And um, I get my relationship stories from other people, what they tell me. So we had a, a young fellow um, who recently, a few year, a year ago or something, recently um, went to India and had an arranged marriage. And he was telling me, Swami, you know, I've discovered there's three rings in every relationship. I said, really? What are the three rings? He says, there's an engagement ring, there's a wedding, wedding ring. And he goes, and then after I got married, guess what? I found the third ring. What was that? Boring. <laughs> and then a year later, he said, Swami, there was a fourth ring I didn't discover. I go, what was the fourth ring? Suffering. <laughs> so today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit what relationships are, again. And we're going to use the Bhagavad Gita, the gunas, as a way to assess um, our identity in these relationships. When we were talking yesterday, we referred to a little chart that I made. In a relationship, usually it consists with another person, or other, let's just say, other beings. There's also our relationship with nature. When I say spiritual relationship, what do you think we're talking about here? What's a spiritual relationship? By the way, I like to engage people. If I wasn't, someone said, if you weren't a monk, you would be a talk show host. So, <laughs> so I work with engaging and asking questions. So I need your input. This is not your traditional lecture. So work with me here and start to loosen your minds up. What do we mean by a spiritual relationship? Anybody, start raising your hands. What's that? Relationship okay, with relationship with God. Is, that, is, is everybody satisfied with that? What do you say? Relationship with the divine, the invisible mind. OK, so still a relationship with the divine, whether we call it God, spirit, but a relationship with something transcendental. OK, is everybody? Yes? Relationship with your higher self. OK, right. So relationship with your higher self. So basically, let's call it the, um, let's call it the divine. So a spiritual relationship means a relationship with the divine. Can you have a spiritual relationship with other people, with your partner, with your family, with, with friends? Yes. yes? Yes. So is that a spiritual relationship you have with other partners? Hopefully. But what do you mean both here? <laughs> well, I don't understand. Both means what? Both means what? What, what and what? Uh, friendship or partnership as well as uh, a spiritual connection. Okay, so, so that's good. So what we mean then is that a spiritual relationship we define as a relationship between you and the divine. So what do we mean by a spiritual relationship with people here? As we discussed yesterday, it's a relationship from your relationship with the divine, how it bleeds into your relationship with other beings. Your relationship with God, how it bleeds into your relationship with nature. The primary emphasis first on a spiritual relationship is between you and the divine. As we start to talk, we say, how does your relationship with other beings help you in your relationship with God? So we're going to discuss, we're going to go, we're going to sort of unpack or unfold. What does it mean to have a spiritual relationship, all right? But go ahead, yes? If we're talking about non-dual, non-dual world, and then a big definition. 
dimension of the divine. I mean, isn't that all one and the same? Our relationship with nature and someone else is all in one with the divine. Right. So, so exactly. So ultimately, your identification with the divine embraces all of this, right? Okay. So th yes, that's true. So we build up to that. But now, so in order to understand what is a spiritual relationship, we're going to start by understanding what's an unhealthy relationship, what's a healthy relationship, and then what's a spiritual relationship. Because I think what you're going to discover is that there's a fine line. What's the difference between healthy and spiritual? So very quickly, let's talk about what's an unhealthy relationship. I'm assuming most of you have experienced unhealthy relationships, right? So you should have a lot to say. So just very quickly, just shoot off. What do you find is an unhealthy relationship? Selfish. Selfish, okay? Right. Selfish. So let's, let's, let's just look at that. Selfishness means it's basically an unhealthy relationship. It's a very me-centered. Would you agree with that? Okay. So if it's me-centered, it means then that there's really no room for anybody else. The me said, it's all about me, myself, and I, right? So I can't, there's no space. There's no space for anybody to fill in there. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. So that being the basis of an unhealthy relationship, okay, what do you think, what happens in that case? Go ahead. Give me some other adjectives here of what we say an unhealthy relationship is. Okay. Insecurity, also, anything? Controlling, dishonest, okay, hateful. And I'm going to say also, a person who's in an unhealthy relation is also dependent. Would you say that? There's, a de there's an over-dependency. And why do you think that dependency is occurring? Why do you think there's insecurity? Why do you think that's there in an unhealthy relationship? Yes, fear, but also... Where does the security lie? Where does their security lie from? Exactly. The other person outside, you hit it. In the Kenu Upanishads, it says, by whose light does all of this shine? He shining, everything else shine. Saying here that the body, how does the body shine? It shines by which that which is behind, by the energy, but the vitality. There's a vital sheet. What shines, what illumines the vital sheet? It's our mind. What illumines our mind? It's our Atman, our divine center. So here, this person shines. This person's joy is dependent on the person that they're with. They shine, I shine. So in an unhealthy relationship, we define ourselves by who we're with. They're happy, I'm happy. We are borrowing their happiness, their source of joy, their source of consciousness onto ourselves. And the result is we are dependent on them. They shine, I shine. So that being the case, what would an identity of someone who looks like in an unhealthy relationship? Well, in an unhealthy relationship, we call this in the Bhagavad Gita, there's a, th a thing called Thomas. Thomas is, there's these energies they talk about. Thomas, Rajas, and Sattva. And a person who's in an unhealthy relationship, usually you'd say they're in a very Thomasic nature. And do you guys, have you heard of Thomas? The, what, is, what are some adjectives that come to you when you think of Thomas? Lethargy. Lethargy. Inertia. Right. Someone 
who's in this relationship, who's in an unhealthy relationship, they don't want to get out. They want to stay where they're at. It's hard for them to move. Why? Because, first of all, if we talk about consciousness, and we say consciousness, a person in this level, do you think they have much consciousness? No. They're mostly very much unawakened, right? So we say unawakened. And what I'm going to say as we get along is we all go through these, these stages. Sometimes we feel unawakened. Sometimes we feel more awakened. Sometimes we feel awakened. There's sometimes a predominance where we're at, but we're going to find that we all have these different stages within us. So as we start to see this, we can start to identify in which patterns of our life are we unawakened? In which places are we awakened? And in which places do we awaken fully? Okay. So we'll say here, there, there's an unawakened state here. And, and as you said, tamasic is inertia. It's inactivity. Why? You have the light of consciousness, your Atman, your divinity, shining in on your mind. But it's so clouded that it's not receptive to any of that awareness. So a person here has very limited awareness. Um, I would call this, a person in this state of consciousness is a victim. I'd call them a victim consciousness. They're in the victim consciousness mode. And when you're a victim, what do you think? What do you think you say? You're always thinking, poor me. Poor me. And what do you do? You end up blaming everybody else except you. You know, it's interesting. I was, I was in the, um, two days ago when I was coming here, I was on the uh, 405 freeway trying to get into the 101 to come up here. And a truck had side flipped and it blocked the whole entrance to the 101 freeway. So as I was waiting in that car, I was thinking, God, there was nothing we can do. We were just set, and we couldn't get into the uh, other four or five because there was a divider, a barrier between us, and we couldn't get out. So we were just stuck. And I just noticed how, how we were all just waiting one hour, two hours. And at that time, my patience was you know, being developed. And I was thinking, you know, this sucks. Why is I was in that victim mode, and I was blaming everything else. You know, and I didn't accept the situation. A person who's in the victim consciousness does not accept the situation. What do you think? They don't accept responsibility. Someone in this mode, do you think they have any choice? Do they have any sense of choice? Can they get out? What's that? If you have limited awareness or no awareness at all, when you make a decision, what ends up ha happening? You make a decision. It's called karma. We take an action. We create these impressions. We'll call some scars. These impressions awaken. They create desires. And then these desires cause us to take action. Okay? This is kind of like a samskara rule. You take an action, creates an impression. If the impression is positive, eventually something triggers that impression. It creates a desire within you. And the desire, again, leads you to action. People who are victim consciousness, what do you think their modes, how do they cope with things when things become rough? When you're in a situation, in a relationship where it's, well, how do you cope with things? What's that? 
Blame, okay, you don't take responsibility. What else do you do? Denial, I'm saying actually what are some actions you do? What do you do? But again, you're being controlled. You feel you're being controlled. You've allowed, you've allowed that person to control you. He shines, you shine. You've given up your responsibility to that person. So this person here um, becomes very enslaved and they have very little awareness, right? And how do they cope with things? Through things like of addiction. You become, you just want to, you don't want to deal with the situation, right? So you stay in this mode. It's very difficult to get out. Your choice of freedom is very limited because you don't have much awareness. You also become very negative thoughts. You become very negative. You look at the world in a very pessimistic way. So this is in reference to you're like, life is being done by me. You always point the finger out. You'll find that they have very little self-discipline. They live out of insecurity, fear, ignorance. They want to escape responsibility. And they resist movement. Thomas, you resist movement. You're so filled with baggage that nothing gets through. So you can talk to them and try to reason with them. Get out, get out. No, I just feel like staying here. This is just, I, I, I don't, it, it doesn't work. Find every excuse. So that is an unhealthy relationship. What is a healthy relationship? Now, let me again reassess. There are times when, you, when we get into this mode, okay? What do you think the best thing to do when we get in this mode? What's, what, what should we do? How do we get out of it? When you find yourself in this tamasic mode, how do you try to get out? What's, what are some things you can do? Awareness, so through awareness, what are some things you can do to, to help you develop awareness in this tamasic mode, to get you out of this Thomas victim stage? Take responsibility for yourself. So one of the solutions was like, if you feel you're the victim, and if you feel people are holding you down, and that they're responsible, learn to forgive. Learn to forgive those who you think are putting you down. Release that energy. I'd be good to take separate vacations. <laughs> okay, fine, right? But then that's good. The second thing they say is start doing something. Don't just sit there. Do something. And the best thing you can do to get out of your own mode is to do something for somebody else. It gets you out of that me-centeredness, which puts you in here. Okay, now let's talk about what is, what's a healthy relationship? And to qualify what I'm going to say a healthy relationship here is a healthy relationship is where the, the goal is for the people to get together and be happy, for people to manage to be able to be in a relationship where they're happy. So what, do you, what are some things, uh, qualities of a healthy relationship? Symbiotic, yes, it's true. There is a, it's a mutual exchange, um, loving kindness, Respect, appreciation, acceptance, tolerance. Anything else? Healthy relationships. We're using your own life experiences here. Nothing outside of you have to look at. Trust, yes. Trust. Empathy, to be able to put yourself into that person's position and feel for them. Yes, empathy. Generosity, yes. So, um, openness, yes. Okay, that's very good, openness. 
So I, I liked yesterday, someone said, remember, the, what was it, the three C's? Was uh, communication, what was the thing? Do you guys remember? What was that? So he said, communication, commitment, and compromise. Three C's, that was pretty good. Um, yes, so in a healthy relationship, again, the ideal being to get along with each other and be happy. This is not a spiritual relationship now. This is a relationship that's based on mutual, uh, mutual acceptance and, getting, and um, living in harmony. So here, what do you think the person here, what type of identity would they have? Here what we start to see is that their awareness is getting more partially cleared, okay? Their, their awareness is more partially cleared. They're starting to wake up. It's called a waking soul. And in the Gita, they talk about activity. They become, you're more active here. And your identity is more, instead of a victim consciousness, you're more what we call manifestor consciousness. What you do is you start building your inner resources within you. Instead of looking for another person to define you, you look within yourself, your inner resources within yourself. What do I have? And what can I give? So you're not, as we said, you're not completely dependent. There's a mutual dependence. As we said, you're a mutual exchange. You feel that life is being done by me. I can make things happen. This is the quality of Rajas. I can make these things happen. I can manifest things. You become, instead of passive mode, you go into active mode. Yes? Another thing about the relationship is that if we did our S together, we can, we can do it. We can do anything. Right. If we, if we did our... Right, S, right. S, yes. If we, if we get that together, we get all... Right, that's the attitude. Yes, exactly. That we feel we can, we can accomplish whatever we set to do. So, and... How do we cope with problems that come up? We work harder. And now, in a person who's an unhealthy, what do you think, how do they, what do you find is that they're reactionary? They react from circumstance to circumstance. It's like a, a pinball. It just goes all over the place. One thing is pressing their buttons, they're reacting to another thing. There's not any awareness. You're just going as how nature dictates you to go. A person in a healthy, uh, in a healthy uh, relationship and in a healthy state of mind who's a manifestor consciousness, they don't react. They respond. What's the difference between reacting and responding? Choice. Yes, yes. There's more awareness. And with awareness, I can make a conscious decision, more of a conscious decision on what I want to do. Whereas previously, without any awareness, I'm just reacting. Someone cuts me off, I honk my horn. Also, choice. Because what do we find? That choice is a function of awareness. The more awareness you start to gain, the more choice you have. The more control you have over yourself. Absolutely. So you start to gain a little bit more inner freedom. They have self-discipline. A person can't be reasoned with no matter what you do. Here, you can be reasoned with, especially 
if it's for your benefit. Um, another thing is in, a, in the Rajasic mode here, in this, in this mode, yes. Now the question is, if you're in this mode, how do you get yourself to the next stage of consciousness? When you're in this activity, if this is where you find yourself. What this would mean is that someone who's, who sits down to meditate, they're always finding themselves getting up to do things that need to be done. You know, when you start to sit down, all of a sudden, all the things come to your mind, what needs to be done, and things you didn't do, and you just get up and do it. So it's good now you're in action mode. But then, how do you go from action mode to what I'll call being mode? You can sit in meditation perfectly without any problems. You guys are very advanced souls. What are you doing here? What do you guys end up doing? How do you think we graduate from here? What are some things we can do? I'm asking. I from, I'm also find myself in this rajasic state. So when you're in this state, how can you get to the next stage of consciousness? Going to a contemplative mode. Contemplative mode. Beautiful. Yes. Did you hear what she said? Contemplative mode. What does contemplation here mean? Reflective mode. You start to reflect on what's being done. Absolutely. Witness consciousness. You know, there, there's a saying in, in Kashmir Shaivism that consciousness has the power to illumine things. It can illumine our mind, it can illumine, but it also has the power to reflect back onto itself. It's called prakasha, illumination, vimarsha, reflection. So when that reflective quality comes up, what happens? I'll tell you what happened in the, with my chance in the freeway. So when I was in this victim consciousness feeling for my, sorry for myself, and you know, as a victim, what happens is you can't wait to tell everybody about your victim stories. So when you come to the convent here and you meet Vrajapran, you're like, oh my God, I was late five hours in the freeways. I'm so, I'm so tired. And she appeases you. She's like, oh, that's okay, my child. <laughs> so, you know, so what starts happening while you're sitting in the freeway, you know what starts happening? As you start to reflect, because there's nothing else you can do and you're getting more angrier, what do you notice? is that the person in the next lane starts to honk their horn. And they're honking and honking and honking. And all of a sudden, you wake up. And you feel released. You're like, wow, now what's, what's wrong with that person? And then you start to see, you start to really see where you are. OK, I'm in a freeway. There's nothing I can do. So let me make the best use of my time. Let me reflect on what I have to do. So you start taking out your notes, start reading them, because there's nothing else you can do. And in that ability just to reflect in yourself, what starts to happen? All of a sudden, your necessity to use the bathroom, which you've been controlling, starts to ease and relax. Your mind starts to ease and relax. All of a sudden, you're comfortable with where you are because you're thinking, this is where I'm meant to be. And all of a sudden, you start to make use of what you have. And in that case, it was just starting to read my notes and starting to get insight into all these things. So from going from this stage to this stage, the most important thing is this reflective consciousness. In every situation in life, the ability to reflect, what does this mean to me? Everything in life has something to teach us. And I can give you one example, another example, just as I'm going on is here is that 
you know, one of the things that when I came into monastic life, I used to go to the gym all the time. I used to go exercise all the time. And as a college student, I was in the gym. And you just start to see things. Nature starts to tell you um, what is it you want and what is it you don't want. And I remember there was a time that I was exercising. I was trying, what's the meaning of my life? Where am I going? What's this all about? This is all happening in college. And, and I'm not getting fulfillment. And I was in the gym. I was exercising. I was doing the Stairmasters. And then I noticed there was this very beautiful woman walking by. And as she was walking by, there's this 20-year-old guy who's exercising. All of a sudden, he stops his weight, and he just starts staring at her, like locked in mode. Stare, 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 stare. And then she keeps walking. Then I noticed there's an 80-year-old man. He was doing his exercise. All of a sudden, he's just like, he stops. And he just starts staring and staring and staring and staring and staring. And it was amazing that I was saying that, is this what I want my life to be? Do I want to be controlled by my circumstances and situations that I'm always going to be running after desires? Or do I want to be in a place where I feel in control and I feel a sense of joy and completeness within me that I don't have to always go out, but I can experience what is within Life is always teaching us about where we are, what we need. We just have to reflect onto the moment. Go ahead. You had a, you had a... What I do is, hey, me, get out of here. Right. And God, come on in. Okay, so that's important. Again, what he's doing then here is, and in this nature, is he's, t- he's plugging himself into the divine. Because from the divine, what starts to happen we start to feel whole. We start to feel full. So that what happens is that when we're with other beings, other people, we don't seek something from them because we are connected to our infinite source. So we can truly give from the fullness of who we are. And this happens through spiritual practice. So in a healthy relationship, Going back to a healthy relationship here. I mean, spiritual relationship. What do we discover in a spiritual relationship? In a spiritual relationship, it's a relationship that supports and is conducive to your spiritual life. Okay? Is your relationship right now, are you finding yourself in your relationship? Or are you getting lost in your relationship? Are you becoming more alive in your relationship? Or are you dying in your relationship? Are you gaining autonomy and independence in your relationship? Or are you finding yourself more enslaved in your relationship? These are really difficult questions to answer, and we have to be honest with ourselves. And so what we start to find is that in this nature, in the spiritual relationship, the first thing you do, one of the first things, is you become authentic. Here, you're living with a projected self. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be someone who my partner can love. I'm trying to live up to their self-image. Here, I accept the way I am. I accept me completely. And there was a beautiful summary of this. Um, This was on TED Talk about a person who had been in four relationships and then ultimately came to this conclusion. Her name's Tracy McMillian. She said, the one person you you need to marry, the first person you need to marry is you. Once I married that person, then all my relationships would be succeeded. What does it mean to marry yourself? It means you enter into a relationship with yourself 
and then you put a ring on it. In other words, you fully commit to yourself. You build a relationship with yourself to realize who you are and that you are whole right now. There is no man, woman, job, circumstance that will make you feel whole because you already are. The places where you have the biggest challenges in your life are where you have the most to learn. In relationships, sometimes we find that people, our partners, others, beings, are mere reflections of who we are. And the, the difficulties that we have in a relationship, the difficulties that we have with our partners are mirroring, just, they're just mirroring the difficulties that we can't face within ourselves. And until we solve those within ourselves, we'll understand then the relationship will work out. Sometimes, to marry yourself, you have to be painfully honest with yourself to see what you have done. You are supposed to marry the person who's so troubled. There are certain vows you take. Number one, you're going to marry yourself for richer or poorer. It means you're going to love yourself where you are now. Not that I'm going to love myself when I lose 10 pounds. When you marry yourself, you walk yourself down that aisle exactly as who you are. And paradoxically, loving who I am is the only way to get to where I'm going. Until you get rid of this projected self, spirituality, another thing you start to learn as you go in this life is we are projecting so many images to people that come to us. Life, one by one, knocks all those images till you get to the point you can accept who you are and allow others to see that as well. It means here, you develop a transparent self. You will be, you will love yourself for better or for worse. I'm having a great hair day today. I love me. I'm not talking about, for worse, the big life disappointments. Maybe I did not get the relationship I wanted. It doesn't matter anymore because when you marry yourself, you agree to stay with you no matter what. To marry yourself in sickness and in health. What this means is you forgive yourself for your mistakes. A mistake isn't a failure unless you didn't learn from it and grow. There's a saying, when you ask for patience, what do you get? You get a line in the bank. What does it mean? Life doesn't give you what you ask for. It gives you people, places, and situations to allow you to develop those qualities. Very important. We're praying to God, give me patience. It's not that God's going to zap you with patience. God's going to give you a line in the bank to help you develop patience, to get that quality. Because if you don't get that quality, you're going to have to come back again to relearn the lessons that you're not learning now. And the thing is, you don't get it the first time. Life will give it to you again. What I learned is how to nurse, comfort myself, and hold my own hand. What I learned is I'm a person I can count on to have and hold for yourself. You love yourself the way you want someone else to love you. I always went into a relationship wanting to feel whole, wanting the other person to love me so I can love myself, thinking they would fill me. My soulmate would fill all the gaps that I lacked. And the truth was, I would never feel whole until I learned to love myself.
So the idea of loving yourself allows you to love in a new way. So my job was to light up my corner in the world. I don't need anything. So when I go with others, it's about how I can help a person achieve their own goals. In social meetings, what can I bring into this? What can I bring? You start to develop your own sense of self. This was lacking in the unhealthy relationship. In the healthy relationship, you develop the inner resources within you that you develop someone. You are someone. You are someone who's, who, who's authentic, who can do things, who has inner resources, who has talents, who has potentials, and can actualize that. You become self-actualized. On dates, I discover another person just for one hour. 30 minutes into the date, I stop paying attention on whether the person likes me or how he feels about my appearance. I notice that I feel light and happy. I'm not so much concerned what he thinks about me, but now more how I feel about me. Because the only relationship I'm going to have with another person is the one I'm having with myself. I'm just going to have it with them now. She was saying, in the relationship, 30 minutes into the date, she's less concerned about what the other person thinks and now starts to say, how do I feel? And what can I give in this relationship? And what am I learning about myself? Again, that reflection. I'm not trying to get security from him or a baby carriage. I don't need to hear the words, will you marry me? Because I've already heard them for myself. I went to the bottom of the ocean and said, I will never leave you. So, in a spiritual relationship, uh, the ideal here, basically, is we find that your relationship is with God. You become whole. And by becoming whole, how can you serve and help and love others? You're independent here. Uh, you start to see their joy is your joy. And some of the qualities, then, is that you go into the being mode. Okay, um, this is what we call, you become a, ch a channeler of consciousness. Your, your ego becomes transparent. Um, you start to welcome whatever is happening. You start to surrender to whatever is happening because everything is happening is all part of the divine will. You start to say, life is done through me. Here, you feel yourself as an instrument of the divine. You surrender control. You have natural discipline. You start to see the laws of the universe. You start to become more aware of the laws of the universe around you. That there's a cause and effect relationship that, uh, that manifests. Uh, that, that there's polarities in this world. There's going to be good and there's going to be bad. You, you start to accept all these things and start to rise above that. You start to see the patterns in the universe. That there's patterns that are going on everywhere. And that things come and things go. But everything is all right. Everything is where everything is where it should be. So these are the qualities, basically, of, of a person in a spiritual relationship. And now what I do, well, the last minute here, I want to connect this now in terms of how, what does this all mean back to the, um, to the divine here? So the question we asked originally was self-discovery. And in the Vedantic system, uh, we say, you are the divine self. We call it the Atman. And in your mind here, 
the consciousness reflects in the mind. And as we talked about, in an impure mind, which is very heavy, very tomasic, you have an unhealthy. As you start to become more active, you start to purify your mind. Um, you get into healthy. You feel you feel a uh, uh, you you feel you're in the active consciousness. And then, as your mind gets more and more purified, you start to become a channeler of consciousness. You start to feel you're an instrument of the consciousness. Well, what happens then? As you start to peer more and more your mind, your mind starts to become a mirror. Previously, the mirror was focusing on this way, and your, con your awareness is being directed from your mind to your emotions, to your body, to your senses, and your valuation of who you are came from what your possessions, it came from your self-image of who you thought you are, which is all out there. As you purify this mirror, what starts to happen is the consciousness starts to get reflected back onto itself. You start feeling less of a pull from the world and more of a pull from your own divine nature. And this is the experience from where you start to get experiences of samadhi. There's a place in the, uh, in the Indian system, they define it as your subtle body, your physical body, your causal body, and your true divine core. In this causal body, you start to become awakened, like a spiritual heart awakens within you. And there's a sense, your consciousness that was reflected in your ego, in the pure ego, you have this individualized sense of I am. That I am, when it gets attracted, gets, uh, illumines a body, illumines a mind. When your ego is pure, this sense of I am reflects onto the infinite I am. Is this, I, I'm, I'm going a little, I just wanted to cover so many bases. Whether you get it, that doesn't matter. But in this experience here, is what we call samadhi. And here, this is the experience of God until you get to your infinite self here. So, and when you feel, and from here, you are that. You are that infinite self. Infinite satyam gyanam anantam your existence, consciousness, bliss. So what we've been talking about here is using relationships as a way to discover your own self. And, and I think here, really importantly, one of the things that we should do more and more is reflect. Every experience in life is teaching us something. The divine permeates all of this. There's a divine consciousness behind all of this. And ultimately, you're going to see that divine consciousness is guiding us. But we're not paying attention. How can we pay attention? By reflecting, more and more reflecting. What does this mean? And as you do spiritual practices, you start to purify this ego, this mind. And then you feel more and more the pull of your divine nature. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.